Well, Lord, you are a great, awesome, and holy God, and there is none like you. You are God, and we are not. You have all authority, and we do not. And so let your kingdom come, and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, as we humble ourselves under your perfect word, I pray that you would give us our daily bread to not only hear your word, but to receive your word and respond to it in your power. Jesus Christ, you are the head of this church. And I pray that as we humble ourselves under you today, our cry would be increasingly like what we just sang. Lord, help it not to be just words on a screen that we sing, but a reality of our lives that says, I've counted up the cost and all my wealth is in the cross. The greatest of my crowns mean nothing to me now. And Lord, you would see every individual and us corporately as a church laying down our lives to take up our cross and follow you as faithful witnesses in this world that is dark and hurting and broken and in desperate need of a Savior. So Lord, help us today. Remove the distractions and say what you want to say for your glory, Jesus Christ. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verses 31 to 38. Now, the title of this morning's message is Our Witness. Our Witness. Now, if you remember, when we started John 13, three weeks ago, the message title was Our Example, Our Example of Jesus Christ. And then last week, we looked at our confidence that we can have in the sovereignty of Christ as we trust in his love and we trust in his authority over our lives. And both of those are all building to this and overflowing to this, as you'll see today. And that is our witness for Christ, our witness for Christ. So let's get on the same page. Here's what we're talking about when it means to be a witness. You'll see it on the screen. A witness is defined as a person who gives testimony about someone or something. A person who gives testimony about someone or something that they have either seen or experienced. And for us as Christians, it is us being the witness of Jesus to the world. The witnesses of Jesus to the world. And I don't know about you, but as I look around, and I speak to people here in our church, in, across this city, other, other people, other pastors, across this nation, and even across this world. There are many questions being asked. There are many ideas that are being put forward of what a faithful witness for Jesus Christ is to look like right now. What is a faithful witness to look like right now amidst the pandemic? in this stay-at-home order, in the latest lockdown? What is a faithful witness for Christ to look like in the conflicts that we see going on around us, in the weariness that we may feel, in the discouragement? And I think you would agree that there are lots of people saying lots of things, would you not? But we have to ask this. Yes, there's lots of people saying a lot of things, but the question that is crucial for us to ask is this. What does Jesus say? I hear what these people are saying, but what does Jesus say from his word that a faithful witness 
is to look like, even right now. And this is so important to address, church family. Because even with good intentions that people can have, even with good intentions at times, it is easy to drift. It is easy to drift from being a faithful witness to what Jesus has not only modeled, but what he has commanded us to live like as his witnesses, as his ambassadors here on earth. Now, why is it so easy to drift? Because even subtly, here's a few reasons. Our glory starts to become our priority. Our glory, getting our ways, having things done in our time, becomes our priority. Or we become focused more on a love for self and our own agenda that eclipses a love for Christ. And subtly, it can happen so subtly, there is a subtle shift from dependence upon the power of Christ to see his kingdom advanced, to dependence upon ourself or other means. And what is the result of this? Well, just look around. The watching world, and believe me, friend, they are watching the watching world sees less of Jesus and more of the anger and the division and the hostility that it has come to expect from itself. That it's typical to see in the world, but they're watching. Is there a difference in the church? And the church ends up looking more like the world and less like Christ. And it can be easy to get discouraged. But loved ones, let me encourage with us today. You'll see it on the screen. Here's our big idea we're going to unpack. Jesus has shown us how to live. Jesus showed us how to live. And if we're going to be faithful witnesses, we must follow him. We must follow him. Living lives that he promises to display his power and his love and his compassion, and his truth, and his glory through at all times and in all things, and through his power at work, drawing all kinds of people to himself, no matter what is going on around us. The call of a faithful witness has not changed, even though the circumstances around us may have. And here in our text, we are going to see three essential truths, three essential non-negotiable truths that we must believe and increasingly live out in the power of Christ if we are to live faithfully for Jesus. Yes, even right now when it can be so confusing. What does that even look like? He tells us, let's tune in, let's grab our Bibles and let's read John chapter 13 verses 31 to 38. Ready for this? Let's go. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. And let's read this together. A new commandment, verse 31, right in your home. Let's go. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself. And glorify him at once. Little children, 
yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Such a timely word for this moment in our day. Hear the word of the Lord. All God's people said, amen. You may be seated, church. You may be seated. Well, the first thing we see here is that the faithful witness for Jesus increasingly lives with one desire. And what's that? His glory. His glory. See, the focus of Jesus fuels witness for Jesus. I'll say it again. The focus of Jesus fuels witness for Jesus. Is his glory your desire? Is his glory your desire today? Let's get our context. Here we are, Passover in Jerusalem. It's Thursday night of the Passion Week. It's one day before the Good Friday, the, the, the day of Passover when Jesus would be crucified. And Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room. You'll see it on the screen there. And they're having the Last Supper. And this Last Supper encompasses John chapter 13 all the way up to and including the end of John 17. And it's called the Farewell Discourse. And this is such a crucial text of Scripture. Why? Because its purpose is that Jesus is giving his final instructions to his disciples to prepare them for not only his death and resurrection, but to teach them how they are to called to live out their mission as faithful witnesses for him after his ascension back to the Father. A crucial text. There is the purpose. So recall, last week in verses 21 to 30, Jesus has just declared that Judas would betray him in that awkward moment, right, of dinner. Judas would betray him. And now Judas has left the building. Say it. Judas has left the building. All right. He's left the building, and he's headed now to the religious leaders, and the final events of Jesus' life here on earth are set in motion. The final events are set in motion for Jesus' arrest, trial, and crucifixion. And now, look what Jesus does. Here's the intimacy right here. Jesus turns to his disciples and he gives them a new commandment, which he will be unpacking over the rest of this entire discourse. He's unpacking this commandment on not only what it is, but how to live it out and how he will equip them to do so. All right, and this commandment is to be the foundation from which all of their witness, all of our witness today for him is to flow out from. 
All right, this is a big deal, this text. Let's read 31 and 32. A new commandment. When he, that is Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. You see, after Judas has left the upper room, Jesus looks ahead. You see his forward vision? Jesus looks ahead at what is going to happen to him. He looks ahead at what's going to happen, and he declares that now is the time when he is glorified. Okay, key word time, ready? Circle glorified in your Bible. Glorified there in verse 31 means to be honored. It is time for Jesus to be honored and esteemed and to have the highest value ascribed to him through his death, through his resurrection, and through his ascension back into the presence of the Father from where he came. All right? And, and notice this, though. There's a lot of glory being talked about here. Jesus isn't the only one who's going to be glorified through this. No, no, no. Notice what he says. He says, God the Father will be glorified too. You see that in verse 31? God the Father will be glorified too. You see, you say, how, how is that possible? Well, see, at the cross, the glory of God's gracious character was most clearly seen. God's holiness most clearly seen. His wrath clearly seen. Forgiveness clearly seen. Love clearly seen. Grace, clearly seen. Justice, clearly seen. This is the picture of the cross right here. And you see in verse 32, notice what Jesus says, the Father will glorify Jesus at once. So the Father is going to be glorified as his gracious character is on display. But notice he's going to glorify Jesus at once. The term at once there means immediately. See, God would glorify him without delay by, as we see in Philippians 2, 9 to 11, by exalting Jesus so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And notice what Philippians 2, 11 says, to the glory of God the Father. This is what Jesus is alluding to right here. And here's what's key to understand of these first two verses, because it'd be so easy to read over them and miss it. Here's the key to understand. Jesus is giving the disciples here, and us today, the right or proper perspective that they must have if they are to live as faithful witnesses for him. See, notice... He's not saying that he's just going to die. Notice he says, now the Son of Man will be killed. Notice that? He's not just saying, I'm going to die. He's not sticking his focus on the suffering. But notice what he's doing. Notice the perspective, the focus. He's looking beyond the cross. You see what he's doing? He's looking beyond the suffering. He's looking beyond the agony. He's looking beyond the weariness. He's looking beyond the distress. And his own death to the glory that awaits him for eternity in the presence of the Father. Awesome. Now live in the text. Live in it. Here's what Jesus is saying. 
He's saying, loved ones, have this focus. Have this focus. If you are to live faithfully at all times and in all things, yes, when it's easy, yes, when it's hard, yes, when it's not like you thought it should look or wanted it to, he says, if you're going to live faithfully as my ambassadors, my witnesses, you must live with an eternal perspective. You must live with an eternal perspective at what is ahead for you. Don't let the circumstances that are right in front of you, just like Jesus here, he had his death right in front of him, but notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't let it distract him from what is ahead, from living with that eternal perspective where he's just drowned out and bogged down and just distracted by what's right in front of him. No, no, no. He says, don't let the circumstances you face distract you from this. And how easy is it for you and I to do this today, to forget the eternal perspective and just live with what's right in front of us? Yes, yes, we're not minimizing suffering. Yes, there is suffering. Yes, it won't always be easy. Yes, we're in the middle of a pandemic and in lockdowns and restrictions. And yes, there is conflict in the world around us. And yes, there are stay-at-home orders. I feel that like you do. Friends, look up here. Look beyond the trial. We must look beyond the trial. Look beyond the trial. Look beyond the suffering to what it is preparing you and I for. What it is preparing you and I for when you and I will be glorified. If we are saved in Jesus Christ, here's our guaranteed future. You and I will be glorified with Christ in his presence for eternity and the hardships you and I face today will be overcome for all eternity. No more fears, no more weariness, no more pain, no more injustice, no more division. It will be overcome. Lord, help us to live in light of this day. The glory that awaits us. Live in light of this day, Jesus says, and live for my glory in that moment. Live for my glory and not your own. Because when you live for my glory, you increasingly live for that day. This is the taste of what is to come. And I love how he models this in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. You will see it on the screen there. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Here's our challenge today. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Lay down the sin, walking in humility and casting that on the Lord and in repentance and in confession. Lay aside the sin which clings so closely. And let us run. Yes, in the middle of the pandemic, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, looking to him as our example. Why? The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, this is what he's speaking of right here, for the joy that was set before him, the eternity with the Father, when he would be glorified and the Father would be glorified, 
He endured the cross. He looked beyond the suffering. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. An eternal perspective. See, the focus of Jesus, having his focus, he's focused on eternity, are you and I today? The focus of Jesus fuels our witness for Jesus. But here's the question we need to ask. Is his glory your desire? Is his glory your desire and where you are at right now, today? Where is your focus today? Are we living in light of eternity? Are you living with an eternal perspective for the glory of Christ? Yes, right at the stay at home, in your parenting, in the sickness, in the hardship, in the weariness. Are we living, asking the Lord to say, help me live with an eternal perspective, just as Christ did, right in the middle. Remember, he was troubled in spirit, right in the middle of the agitation, right in the middle of the weariness. Help me to live with this eternal perspective. Or does your perspective stop at the suffering? Does your perspective stop in the weariness? Are you distracted by this? And you may say, well, how do I know if I'm living distracted? Well, here's a few signs that we see all throughout Scripture. I'll just name a few here. How do we know if we're, if we're ceasing to live with an eternal perspective? Grumbling replaces gratitude. Grumbling replaces gratitude. Increasing despair over our circumstances replaces increasing joy in the Lord. Control, desiring to control our circumstances and outcomes increasingly replaces surrender. Fear replaces faith. Anxiety replaces peace. Apathy in our walk with the Lord. And how easy is it to become apathetic in our walk with the Lord right now as his witnesses, right? Apathy in our walk with the Lord replaces initiative. The desire to be served becomes greater than the desire to serve. We expect others to take up their towels for us, but we're unwilling to take up our towels for them. The desire for your glory over Christ increases as you spend more time focusing on what is right in front of you and not what is beyond. See, here's the truth we need to understand today, church. Your distraction will hinder your desire. Your distraction with all this going on right now, if it's not confessed and we don't humble ourselves, bring it before the Lord, it's going to hinder our desire in living as witnesses for the Lord and keeping that eternal perspective. We must fight for it by the power of the Spirit. And I want to, I just want to encourage you with this, wherever you're finding, if you're in a hard situation today, and if you're not, praise the Lord, you will be one day, maybe soon. And here's the call to the eternal perspective from 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. You'll see it on the screen. So we do not lose heart. Hey, loved one, do not lose heart today. We do not lose 
heart. No matter what's going on, no matter how long this goes on for, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self, here's some great news for us today, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction. Did you get that? This light and momentary affliction. In what we're facing today. In various ways. This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us. Notice this is preparing us. For us an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison. Let that fuel your thinking. That's what Jesus is modeling here. That's what he calls us to. This is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Praise the Lord. As we look, as we focus on, as we keep perspective of, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. See, there it is, the eternal perspective. Looking to the things that are unseen. Looking to eternity when we will be in the presence of Christ forever and how all these things are preparing for us that weight of glory beyond all comparison. For the things that are seen are transient. This will pass. This will pass. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Praise the Lord. Where's your focus today? Is Christ's glory your desire? Are we living with this eternal perspective? Where do you need to humble yourself and repent from having your focus only on things that are seen? Loved ones, we must walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? See, a life of faithful witness for Jesus is a life of one desire. One desire. And that is his glory as we focus on eternity. And from this, the life of a faithful witness is also a life of one distinction. One distinction. What's that? Christ's love. Christ's love. The mark of disciples is love for one another. I'll say it again. The mark of disciples of Jesus Christ is love for one another. Will you love as Jesus loved you? Will you and I love as Jesus has loved us? Let's read verses 33 to 35. Keep going. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. See, after giving the perspective, after giving the desire they are to live with, if they are to be faithful witnesses, notice this. Now Jesus, lovingly and tenderly, notice where he says little children there. He's speaking to his followers. Little children. He tells them that he is leaving soon and they can't come where he is going. Okay, hold on a second. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes. 
This is going to rock their world. They're like, what do you mean we can't go where you go? We've given up everything to follow you. We've been ostracized. People want to kill us. And now you say you're leaving and we can't come? Think about what that would have done for them. That statement right there. They're reeling from this. It would rock their world. Now recall, in John 8, 21, if you're like, hey, that sounds familiar. Recall, Jesus said this exact thing to the religious leaders. That is, the Jews, the Jewish leaders. And he said it to them because they're unbelief. He goes, I'm going to heaven. You can't come because of your unbelief. But here, he's saying it differently. He's saying, he's the only one who can go to the cross. You guys can't come to pay the penalty for the sin of the world. Only I can do that. I'm the only Messiah. You can't pay this penalty. I must. And... He says, you can't come where I'm going because I'm going to the cross and then I'm going into heaven to the presence of God. And notice in verse 36, if you skip down, he says to Peter, you will come later. He's meaning this for the rest of them as well. They will join him in heaven when their mission on earth is done. Now you look at verses 34 to 35. From this, Jesus then gives them a new commandment. He gives us today as his followers a new commandment that they are to live by if they are to live as faithful witnesses to the world around them. And what is it? Out of anything you can say, what does he say? You must love one another. The new commandment is a command to love as Jesus has loved them. Now, this is very important, so you're going to see it on the screen, the Greek word for love there. All right, ready for some Greek? Here we go. Agapao. Say that with me. Agapal. There, you just learned some Greek. It means this. Actively doing what God prefers into the life of another. See that? Actively doing. Not just sitting apathetically. Not just sitting passively. I'll wait till the pandemic's over. And then I'll get back to doing things. No, no, no. Actively doing. Taking the initiative to do what God prefers into the life of another. Choosing God's desires and obeying him in his power to love as Jesus has loved you, regardless of that person's political viewpoints. We are called to actively do what God prefers in his power into the life of another, regardless of one's race, regardless of one's socioeconomic status. Regardless of the history you have with them, regardless if it's comfortable or not, whether it's convenient or not, do you think this world would see distinction? You see, this love, agapao, to love one another as Christ has loved us, is to be mutually reciprocated. It's not to be one-sided. It is to be initiated by both people. Notice, he says, one another. One another. See, there's approximately 40 one another's in the New Testament. And they all flow out of this one right here. This is the new commandment. Now, let's get some clarity. Let's get some clarity. We are not being called to love the world less. Notice, Jesus, get our context. Jesus is talking to his followers, his disciples. What he's not saying here is that we are called to love the world less, but we are called to love one another more. 
we are called to love our brothers and sisters in Christ more. Reflect, because it's reflecting. Remember, he's talking about God the Father and himself here, context. He's talking to reflect the mutual love that the Father and Son, God the Father and Jesus Christ, have for one another. And increasingly, in his power, imitating that love that has been shown to them by Christ. Now you say, you, you may read that, and you say, well wait, why is this new? I mean, isn't the command of love, didn't he talk about that in Matthew 22? Didn't we see that in the Old Testament? What Hasn't he mentioned it all along? Yes. Starting back in Leviticus 19, 18, where God commands the Israelites to love their neighbors as themselves. But why is it new? Because did you notice? Jesus ups the ante here. Jesus ups the ante. Well, I love how one commentator put this. The command for people to love one another is not new. But the command for believers to love one another the way Jesus loved them was new. The command for you and I today to love as Jesus has loved us is new. See, Jesus gave them, the disciples right here, and now us today, the new model, the new standard for what love was to look like. Our standard for how we love one another, church family, is not this world. This world standards of what love should look like. But it is to, read the text, it is to love others as Jesus has loved us. And that was ultimately culminated in giving everything he had and laying down his life on the cross. He's our model. This is the new commandment, to love as Jesus has loved us. And he says, this will be, do you notice? This will be the single greatest distinguishing mark that they are his followers to this world around them. This will be the mark that his followers love one another as he has loved us. And by it, all will know that they belong to him. Wow, stunning. And let's be absolutely clear what Jesus is saying here. Let's see it on the screen. If they don't see love, they don't see Jesus. If they don't see love, they don't see Jesus. Now it's important to notice here what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say that all people will know you're my disciples if you accuse one another. It's not in the text. Jesus doesn't say here that all people will know you're my disciples if you shame one another. It's not in there. If you criticize one another. Jesus doesn't say that all people will know you're my disciples if you gossip about one another. That's what the world does. There's no distinction there. If you complain 
about one another. If you use one another. He doesn't say that the world will know that you're my disciples if you interrupt one another. If you compete with one another. If you hold grudges with one another. If you're unforgiving towards one another. If you, here's a big one today, marginalize or exclude one another. You see, this world does a great job of these, wouldn't you say? And let's be honest, us too. And you may say, well, then what is this supposed to look like? How do we love one another? If this is the distinguishing mark, we need to be so clear on this. You say, what does this look like? Well, praise the Lord. He gives us a snapshot in 1 Corinthians 13. You'll see it on the screen right there, verses 4 to 7. Notice from God's word what he says love is. Love is patient. Love is patient, not short with one another. Not cutting one another off, listening to one another. Love is patient and kind. It serves one another. Love serves in word, in action, in thought, in prayer. Love serves one another. It is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not envying what a brother or sister has or it's not boasting about oneself and pushing one to the forefront. Love is not arrogant, but it is humble. Love is not arrogant. It lays its life down for others. Love is not rude. That means it is respectful. It is honoring of their brothers and sisters in Christ in how they speak of them to their face and behind their back. Love does not insist on its own way. Give me what I want, when I want, and if you don't do this, then you're not going to receive any love from me. Love is not irritable. Anyone struggling with a little bit of irritability these days? Love is not irritable with one another. Love is not resentful. You know what the term resentful there means? It means love is not counting up the wrongdoings. Yeah, I'll say, yeah, I love you, brother, but I'm remembering when you did this and this and this and this, and I've got my scorecard all laid out. I remember. Love you, brother. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. You see that? Love is not cheering sin on. Love is not cheering sin on. Love confronts in love with the aim of restoration and speaks the truth in love, bearing one another's burdens. Love rejoices with the truth, seeing others walk in the truth, and the spirit of rejoicing with one another as we see God at work in one another's lives. We're not competing with one another. Love bears all things. What does that mean? Love is united. It does not bail out on each other. It bears the hard times. It bears the pandemics together. And instead of allowing divisiveness, it comes together by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the mark of love. 
Man, look at this world divided at every turn. And yet is it seeing in the church this bearing of all things together? Not some grin and bear, oh, I guess so, but united in the eternal perspective, in pursuit of the gospel, in the standard of how Jesus has loved us, we pour ourselves out in his power for one another. It bears all things and doesn't bail out when things get hard. It initiates when our flesh wants to draw back. Love believes all things. It hopes all things. What does that mean? Here it is. Love believes and hopes for the best for others. It believes the best about others and hopes for the best of others. It doesn't assume the worst. And are we ever good at this, huh? Assuming the worst of one another. May it not be so, Lord. Help us, Lord. And love endures all things things, even pandemics, it endures together in the power of the Holy Spirit. There it is. There's the snapshot of loving one another as Christ has loved us. And Jesus fulfilled this perfectly. And let me ask you a question. Do you think the world would notice if we lived this way? See, the mark of disciples is love for one another. But here's the question confronting us today. Will you love as Jesus has loved you? And you may say this, you may look at that, so you're like, this is too hard. This is impossible. I can't do this. Hey, can, can I just encourage you, loved one? Praise the Lord for that realization you just had. Because Jesus will not ask from you and I what he's not first willing to do in you and I. That's good news. And Jesus gave us the model for love, but here's great news. He also gave us the means to live it out. He didn't just give us the model and say, there, you're on your own. He gave us the means to live it out by coming to earth as fully God and fully man and living that perfect life of perfect love in pouring himself out in love every moment of every day for those around him. And he went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, the sin that hinders us being able to live this way. And he took the full wrath of God upon himself. He died and rose again three days later, defeating the power of sin and death, that if we confess our sin and we repent and turn from it and confess him as Lord and Savior, we can live with resurrection power as we are forgiven of our sin and increasingly seeing the power of sin defeated in our lives by the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. He didn't just give us the model. He gave us the means. So here's the question, friend. Where do you need to humble yourself? Today, where do you need to humble yourself and repent of your lack of love towards your brothers and sisters in Christ? This is the distinguishing mark of his disciples. Where do you need to repent? Where do I today repent of our lack of love in our marriages, on social media, the posts we put out, in the criticism maybe you've been giving, in the impatience Instead of be, love being patient, you're just impatient. I want things now my way. And that leads to grumbling. In the unforgiveness, the scorecard, the record of wrongdoings you're holding on to. In the partiality you're showing, whether you're saying it with your mouth or just in your heart, towards someone else because of their race, 
because of their ethnicity, their age, their sex, their socioeconomic status, not just in our church, but in the church around the world. Hey, let's just use 1 Corinthians 13 as the litmus and get low before the Lord today. There is such freedom and joy and refreshment and comfort on the other side of the repentance. There is not condemnation. Come to him today, loved one. Why? Because the world is watching. The world is watching. And if they don't see love, right here what Jesus said, they don't see Jesus. And I've been so blessed to see in this pandemic personally, Hope Church, love you so much, just to see example upon example of this, whether people are hurting or, or, or meal trains are being set up or hearing people just taking the initiative to call and exhort and to pray and to encourage and to take the initiative to do that. It's just been mind-blowing to hear testimony after testimony of that and in small groups, seeing it in our small group and hearing it in other small groups that is going on. People not being just blessed in our church, but beyond our church to other brothers and sisters in Christ around this country and ultimately the world as well. It's just been incredible to see. Praise the Lord. So thankful for his work. You see, a life of faithful witness for Jesus is a life of one desire. One perspective, his glory. And it is a life of one distinction, his love. And lastly, all of these things overflow from a life of one dependence. On what? His power. The life of a faithful witness for Jesus increasingly is a life of one dependence, and that is his power. See, faithful witness depends on Christ's power. Question for you. Who is your confidence in today? Who is your confidence in today? Look at verses 36 to 38. Jesus foretells Peter's denial. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. You see, Peter, notice what he does. He actually ignores Christ's command here. Kind of a big moment, Jesus giving that command. And ha, ah, Peter, here we go. And he ignores it. He's still, he's still reeling from hearing Jesus saying he's going somewhere that they can't come. He's still rocked out by that. And he asked Jesus, he goes back, he says, so where are you going? I mean, this was a big deal for the disciples. Where are you going? And once again, Jesus tells them, you can't go where I'm coming. He says, first, I'm going to the cross because I'm the only Messiah who can pay the penalty for sin. But secondly, I'm going back into heaven to the presence of my father from where I came. And Peter can't follow into heaven, but he will. He will follow. He can now, but he will after he's lived out the mission that Jesus had for him. See, Jesus' work on earth was almost done, but Peter's was just getting going. Okay? Peter's was just getting going. And then in 37 and 38, Peter then, in a display of arrogance, in a display of overconfidence, and we do this the same, we do this the same, overconfidence in his own abilities to follow Christ. He says this, 
I can follow you now. I'm ready to lay down my life for you. What do you mean I can't come? I'm, I'm going to lay down my life. Now, think about what he's saying there in this moment. Jesus, there is no cost too high. There is no sacrifice too great. I'm ready to lay down every shred of my reputation, every amount of my money, every relationship that I have, every agenda that I would want to pursue, every desire that I have, and your kingdom come and my kingdom go at all times, all days. That's what he's saying. I'm ready to lay down my life. I'm going the distance. But notice Jesus so gentle, so patient, so loving. Jesus responds in a display of sovereignty, omniscience, and authority. He rebukes Peter lovingly and says, Will you truly lay down your life for me? He says, Peter, you're not going to make it through the evening being faithful, let alone lay down your life for me. That rooster's going to crow, and you will have denied him three times. Sobering moment, eh, loved ones? Now, before we get on Peter here, being like, how could he think that? Hey, hey, before we get there, how quick are we to do or say something like this as well? See, live in the text. Isn't it, church, isn't it really easy to feel confident and have good intentions for Jesus when you're sitting in a comfortable, secure place like the upper room? Isn't it really easy to be confident and have good intentions when your physical needs are met? Peter just had a big meal. When you're surrounded by people who think the same as you do, who all confess Christ as their Savior, isn't it really easy to become confident in that moment and, and you're feeling good and things are going the way you want? It's easy to be bold for Christ in that moment when there's no opposition, when there's no trial. And to believe that you can be a faithful witness in that moment. But here's the danger that we see here and that you and I face today. Ready? As one commentator put it, human nature has the innate sinful ability to think more highly of itself than it should. To think that it can be like God and to do what only God can and doesn't need him. Oh, it may confess it. Yeah, Lord, I need you. But I'm going to live just like I don't. See, we easily forget, like Peter, there's a sobering truth, we have no power in ourselves to follow Jesus as his disciple. You and I have no power in and in of ourselves to follow Jesus as his disciple and to live as a faithful witness. See, isn't it true? Our self-assessment quite often vastly outstrips our actual strength. I'll follow you, Jesus. I'm in all the way. And then COVID-19 hits. I'm going to love as you love. And then COVID-19 hits. Then that trial hits. And you see what, what happened here today? This pandemic that we're in right now, it has proven this truth right here that we see illustrated through Peter's life. See, it's much easier to press into Christ and to live with fervency 
with hearts of praise and gratitude and love for one another as Christ has loved us. And it's much easier to continue to take initiative, to reach out and to encourage and to exhort and to pray with and to serve and to lay down our life for others when you feel comfortable and things are going your way and you don't realize if we're careful, if we have to be so careful of this, because in those moments we can so easily forget to realize how dependent you actually are upon Christ for any spiritual good, for any endurance that you could have. How about now? How about right now? Let's just be honest before the Lord. I love Peter's honesty right here. And just as Jesus spoke to Peter in love. He comes to us in love today when we're in this position. Hey, loved one, what has this pandemic revealed your confidence has been set in that isn't him? Friends, stuff, freedoms, this, that, what is it where the grumbling starts to kick in and the complaining, the overconfidence has been revealed and you're not sure? Ask him. Get before the Lord. He wants to show you. He wants to get that out that our dependence, that your dependence would be on him alone. Ask him. Ask other mature believers around you that love you and are walking with you. See, a faithful witness depends on Christ's power. Who is your confidence in? And you may say, well, well I see the need for this. I want to live a life of increasing dependence on Jesus, but how? Well, notice John 15, 5. Just go over the page You'll see it on the screen as well. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And believers, what does this mean for us who've made that decision? Abiding means clinging to his word and seeking his face, just like we prayed at the start. See, prayer and the word are our declaration of dependence on the Lord and our putting that aside, marginalizing or minimizing of it is our declaration of independence against him. To say, I got this, Jesus. But do you see the abiding life? Here's the declaration of the abiding life. Jesus, I'm not wise enough. I need your truth and I'm not strong enough. I need your power. I am not strong enough to honor you on my own. I can't white knuckle this on my own strength. And today, church family, Jesus is still asking right now in the pandemic, will you abide in me and lay down your life for me and be my faithful witness? Living a life increasingly with one desire of my glory with one distinction of my love and on one dependence of my power. I'm with you. Be encouraged, loved one. He says, I am with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. I am for you and I am ready to empower you to be my witnesses of my hope and my grace and my love and my peace and justice and life that I offer to the world that is watching and desperately wanting. But the question here, just like to Peter, is this. Will you lay down your life for me?
Christ, such a convicting word that you speak here, such a high call, and yet I thank you that you have not left us on our own. We cannot achieve this on our own merit, and so right now I pray we be so humble and let the convicting work of your Holy Spirit just do his work, please. Please, Lord, and lead us to life. Show us those areas that you have revealed we were putting our confidence in. And I pray for Hope Ottawa that we would not be a church that says, I'm ready to lay my life down for you when things are good, but when the pandemic comes, we shrink back. That we're willing to initiate when it's comfortable, but not when it's not. Oh Lord, help us, lead us, guide us. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the hope we have in you. Thank you that you have not left us to our own. And I pray in Jesus' name, the watching world would increasingly see the love of Jesus Christ displayed in our love for one another. Help us, Lord. Lead us, Lord. Guide us, Lord. Living with that eternal perspective, with that distinction, and in that dependence for the glory of your name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Loved ones, will you stand and respond and worship with us today? Thank you.